Hey, it's Brandon Laws. Welcome to Transform Your Workplace. By the time you hear this, I'll actually be in Southern California at Disneyland with my family. And this is the first time that I've gone since I was like maybe in fourth or fifth grade. And the first time my kids are going. So wish me luck. But the best part is I've got a great team behind me and we're still able to get episodes out to you every Tuesday and sometimes on Fridays as bonus episodes. So hope you're loving the podcast. Make sure to click subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Amazon Music, wherever you listen. We're starting to produce a lot more YouTube videos as well. So make sure to subscribe there too. Just loving the content that we're putting out. Hope you are too. And if you have any feedback or suggestions for topics, always looking for new and interesting topics and guests. Lots of good, smart thinkers and leadership in HR out there. So appreciate the referrals. Today's episode is with Jen Ostrich. Jen is the CEO of Grow Collective and the author of Feedback Reimagined, Transform Your Organization Through Positive Psychology and Social Support. So I think it's time to change the game when it comes to providing effective feedback in the workplace. I think feedback, giving feedback is just hard. I think for people who don't give it regularly, it's, it's really hard. And the more you do it, it, it gets easier. But there's a there's a right approach and a wrong approach. And Jen comes on the podcast to discuss the importance of focusing on strengths, growth, and allyship when giving feedback to employees. It's about moving beyond simply pointing out ineffective behaviors and constructive criticism. And instead, we should be painting a picture about what true growth and progress looks like. We cover a lot of areas in this podcast, but overall, you're going to get through this episode and you're going to be like, okay, now if I have to give feedback to one of my employees or a colleague, you've got the tools to do it. So hope you enjoy. I, I love the discussion with Jen. I could honestly never have enough conversations about feedback because it's one of those things that there's always something to learn. And in the end of the day, we're trying to transform the workplace for our people. And we do that by continuing to grow. And feedback is a big component to that. So hope you enjoy. Make sure to connect with me on LinkedIn, connect with Jen on social media as well. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy the episode and enjoy the week. Hey, Jen, welcome to Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brandon. We're here to talk about feedback. You know, I've read several books on this topic. I've talked to a lot of people about it. And it seems like people just still haven't figured it out. You wrote an entire book called Feedback Reimagined, Transform Your Organization Through Positive Psychology and Social Support. So let's start with the most basic question. Are most people good at giving feedback in your experience? Yeah. Um, great question. And I'd have to say no, but it's not for the lack of, of trying. I think that a lot of the feedback systems and organizations, you know, have been around for a long time and people created those with the best of intentions. But what we now know through science and through the field of positive psychology is unfortunately a lot of those systems are actually counter to how we're built and what actually helps us to grow and thrive. And so that's kind of a challenge that coupled with all the different generations now in the workforce and what different expectations from the newer workforce, what that looks like. 
that combination's kind of created, I feel like, this perfect storm in the realm of feedback today. What I find interesting about feedback is most people aren't even taught how to give it. Uh, maybe some organizations have a really good framework for how to deliver feedback, but I think what most people, including myself, you you sort of observe throughout your entire life from grade school all the way up through sports and high school or whatever, and then college, and then and you get in the workplace, and you sort of are looking at the people around you on how they deliver feedback, and you kind of probably pick and choose and how, how you do it yourself. I mean, do you, do you find that that's the case, or do you find that some people are are trained, just maybe trained the wrong way on how to give feedback? Yeah, I actually think like this is even broader than feedback. I think leadership, unfortunately, is kind of learned along the way and feedback's a part of that. So I think a lot of times it is like lead and learn by example. And I think we all, I remember saying to someone, I learned the most from the bosses that I never wanted to be because it helped me think about, okay, I don't want to do that when I'm managing people. And I could say the same about feedback experiences. That was part of what motivated me around this entire initiative. I spoke a little bit about it in the book, but I came from the world of advertising and it was really poor in the sense of processes and discipline around feedback. And so I knew that once I was managing people, I wanted to be able to give clear and specific and helpful feedback. And in your experience, what what are a few things that people get wrong about the way they deliver feedback? Yeah, I think we talk in the book about negativity bias. I mean, look, it's the way that our brains are wired. We are more prone to see things through the lens of of negative. And so when it comes to people, I think that we are just more apt to look for and to notice when someone's doing something ineffectively and want to spend a lot of time talking about that, which of course, you know, then create someone to feel triggered or defensive. And I don't think we spend enough time talking about what someone's doing well and how those strengths could be leveraged further, but also even potentially be leveraged in the specific areas where you'd like the person to grow. So kind of connecting those strengths into the growth areas. And then also just being even more clear on what does effective look like. So a lot of times we just stop short by saying, here are the things to work on. And you're reiterating most likely what the person already knows, but you're not really telling them how to do it differently, which is challenging when you're kind of left on your own to figure out what to do to improve. That comment you made about the negativity biases, it's an interesting one because I think, I mean, inherently I know that if I receive negative feedback or something negative, I'm just going to hone in on that. I think most people will like shut down, including myself, where that's all you can think about now. And then I imagine your productivity decreases overall. Like what's the research say about that? I'm sure you've dove deep on this topic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, that's exactly it, Brandon. Your mind fixates on the one thing that you hear that you tell yourself or that you're told is the negative, even if you heard 10 positive things prior to that. So the idea that the negativity has this like stickiness factor that we actually feel more positive emotions throughout a day, but we remember the negative ones more poignantly. That's what makes it difficult with feedback because the negative information isn't necessarily the most helpful thing when it comes to actually helping someone developmentally grow. That's kind of counter to what's going to be the most effective experience. There does come a time where a manager does need to correct some sort of action behavior how do you deliver that if, if you're not able to give constructive criticism on like, hey, you know, you did this incorrectly, not to what we agreed upon? Like, how do you how do you go about something like that? Yeah. So I think it's not about not being constructive or not giving the constructive. It's just making sure that you're spending the time also describing what's the more effective behavior or what's the, the desired behavior. You know, have you ever trained a dog? 
Oh uh, yeah, that's very hard. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be consistent. <laughs> and well, and you use treats, right? And you reinforce the behaviors that you want to see. But before you know to reinforce that behavior with the dog, you have to know what it is you want the dog to do, right? So same with people in the sense that we need to help them see and understand what would be more effective. So maybe you have to call to their attention the way that they did it and why it was ineffective. And that can be helpful context, but you can't stop there because that still doesn't tell them what to do instead. So painting the picture for what it could be if it was even more effective is what's going to be most useful. We want to point people towards the behavior we want them to do versus always bringing them back to the thing to stop doing. It's like, what do you need them to start doing instead? How do the expectations around feedback differ amongst the generations? Because I imagine we came from, you know, with the boomer generation and, and the Xers, and now you got millennials making up the majority. I imagine there there are some key differences in, in how either they want to receive feedback or even delivering feedback. So what are those differences? Yeah, for sure. And I heard you talking a little bit about the millennials on a, on a podcast that you were on. So. I'm a millennial myself. <laughs> right, right. So correct me if I'm wrong, but... There's a book out there that I love. It's, I don't know, maybe a decade old now, but called Unlocking Generational Codes. And the author, um, Anna Lolita, she's like one of, I think it's 17 children. And so she kind of made it like her life's work to study the differences in generations. And I love how she looks at it because she unpacks kind of the world events and what was happening in each generation and how did that shape beliefs? And then how did those beliefs translate into behaviors? So when you think about the Gen Xers raising kids, so having an experience where they were like the latchkey kids, the boomers were all work, no play. So as a result, my dad, you know, never made a field hockey game kind of thing. Then the Gen X as parents wanted to, you know, soccer moms and soccer dads, they were going to go to everything for their kids. And so the millennials were kind of told like the world is your oyster. And then they were praised and given a lot of positive reinforcement and even given awards for participation, not just first place, but for actually, you know, showing up. And so from parents and sports and school, you know, there was more of a push towards a growth mindset. And then they get into the workplace where there's still a lot of Gen X and boomers at the time. And nobody really is prioritizing feedback. People are focused more on what's ineffective. And they hadn't really been told that. And I got to give the millennials credit because I feel like they were the first generation that kind of like called it out and said, hey, coach me, don't criticize me, like tell me how to succeed. And when I worked in advertising I, and then when I became a coach and went into agencies to start training people, you know, the creatives were like, well, when you start out, you have to do web banners and radio ads. You don't get to work on the TV campaign. I'm like, well, good luck holding on to these guys if that's the mentality because like they broke the rules. Like they said, we don't want to follow what the structure is just because that's what it's always been coach me to to know how to do tv so i can do it sooner um so i think that was one main difference in terms of you know help me understand how to grow and really looking for developmental feedback and then just the frequency in which they wanted i think they grew up in a world where everything was instant gratification and gen z is like this times 10 so they want that reinforcement and they want it frequently yeah what's i find fascinating because i'm i'm of the millennial generation and you you're spot on about like we we got the trophies we we got regular feedback and we're looking for that in the workplace and then you have now gen z and then even younger my, my son's 11 and he's like you know, he, he likes to create YouTube videos and he is so excited about those likes. And I'm like, oh, those are like vanity metrics that like, are, are they really, but those are important to him. And so you imagine he's going to grow up at some point, he'll be in the workplace and he's going to be expecting like regular validation around his work. Yeah. And that's what we're dealing with. Well, here. and he'll probably have a millennial as a boss, so he might get it, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, yeah. And I think that the generations that were still in the workplace and in many cases still are, you know, were frustrated by this and felt the millennials were entitled for coming in. And um, I have to pause people when they say that to me. And I'm like, just because you didn't get it doesn't make it wrong. Like, wouldn't you have wanted that? I would have loved a lot more feedback. I would have loved to not be sink or swim and somebody actually guide my path, but it wasn't the way. And so anyway, I think they get a bad rap for asking for what is actually very human. And we all want to understand how to grow and thrive and, you know, Maslow's hierarchy and reaching that self-actualization. I mean, it's, it's very natural. So it's just, are you going to play along and actually do it the right way, just, even though it wasn't modeled to our generations in that way? You had said a little bit ago that millennials were asking for coaching, not criticism. What are those key differences between how a manager would approach that? Yeah. So I think it's um, similar to how I was saying, you know, help me understand what success looks like instead of mm. telling me what I'm doing wrong. So like painting a picture. Exactly. And I also think it's like helpful to give the context. Like, I think that millennials like, they have a lot of pride and I think they like a sense of ownership and they grew up in a world where their generation is very entrepreneurial and some of them are, you know, famous, richer than everyone in the world. And so it's like, what does that path look like? And help me understand like how I contribute to the greater whole. And so while they might be doing tasks that seem not important, how does that fit in the grand scheme of how the, what makes the company run and how they're helping the company to be successful? So I think it just takes a, an extra beat and everybody's like, we don't have time. But I think if you just take a little bit more time to give them the bigger picture and to spell out and, and paint the picture for them of what success can look like, that could reap so many benefits for the greater whole. Over the last... I want to say a couple of decades, there's been a lot written about radical transparency, radical candor, all that. You know, I've read, I've read those books and it's basically saying that people want the tough stuff that can handle it. Does the research that you've done back that up? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think people are motivated in different ways and some people uh -huh. claim that they're motivated by the tough stuff. The way we like to see it is, you know, talking about somebody's weaknesses can be informative and insightful, but by itself, it's insufficient for change. And so whether you choose to deliver it as the tough stuff or not, you're still not really, again, painting the picture for what more effective would look like. And when you paint the picture for what more effective would look like, it's very unlikely you're going to trigger somebody because you're actually giving them an aspirational vision for how they could show up as their best. And you're suggesting a couple small shifts they could make for how to, you know, just be even more effective. And so, I don't know, when you look at both options, you run the risk of triggering someone, maybe you're going to motivate them, but you're still not telling them what to do better or different versus being really clear, really specific and painting a picture for what success looks like and then giving them a path to get there. Yeah. I mean, we, we full on believe in transparency. We are not supportive of anonymous feedback. So the oh, radical transparency, yeah, I'm all for that. I think it's just make sure that you're giving the most effective and productive feedback that you can and helping the person understand really what does that shift and change really need to look like. So you're not a fan of the 360 anonymous feedbacks. <laughs> No, we, we have our own 360 approach and we write everyone's name next to, it's an interview style and it's fully revealed. And part of the reason why for that is not just because that context matters, is it your boss saying that or one of my direct reports, like that might change the way I want to address the feedback, but also because, you know, another core component in our book is around this idea of creating allyship and feedback. Like we're just not that successful when we try to work on something by ourselves. We know that from research. So if I want to give you very specific feedback, Brandon, after this podcast, you know, in the best of worlds, I would then offer some way that I could support you in that. Or the next time we do it, if I think you were asking questions too fast, maybe we have a visual cue where I go like this 
And like, that's to support you in building that new habit of slowing down, right? Because it's going to be easy for you to go back to the way you're used to doing what you do best. And so some of those old habits will come back. So how are the people around us able to support that? And if people are offering feedback and we don't know where it's coming from, it's harder to then take advantage of the fact that they could actually be an ally in helping me to create that positive change. Yeah, those are great points. One thing I wanted to make sure to ask you is like before we can actually deliver feedback. So like you had a great example of giving me feedback, but what needs to be in place before you could deliver that feedback. I imagine like, you know, trusting relationships, a safe environment, agreements. I don't know, like maybe there's a bunch of things that need to be in place before we can actually deliver feedback. What are some of those things? Yeah, for sure. We talk a little bit about the book and I think you were lucky enough to interview Amy who coined uh, psychological safety, which is a big word. And, you know, I think most people have heard of it by now, but really at the end of the day, yeah, it's how do we create an environment that feels safe and trusting and we have a little saying that we like to use, which is with the right intent, you can share any content. And so just really making sure that the person understands that you literally are trying to coach them and help them be their most effective and, and put them on the right path and help them be successful. And if that can come through, then usually you can follow that up with whatever it is if that person can truly feel that you're offering that up for their best interest. I think also what helps to build psychological safety in, in the workplace is just the willingness for the person giving the feedback to show a little vulnerability, share a story about when you'll never forget when someone pulled you aside and had to tell you this, or, you know, when you've made a mistake, but it was a pivotal turning point for you in your career. You know, I think it just humanizes all of us and for somebody that maybe has a little bit more of a fixed mindset, it's going to take it a little personally, you know, it's going to help to hear, okay, well, we all go through one of those moments where we get told something that was tough to swallow. You created a model for giving feedback called the shift positive method. Talk about that. What are the components of it? How does it work? Yeah, sure. So if I boil it down for the interest of short format here, three main things, focusing on strengths, focusing on growth from the perspective of naming that desired behavior and then creating allyship and, and offering up a way to support that person. So with the strengths, there's just countless research out there now about everything from it enhances your well-being when you're leveraging your strengths to the fact that Tom Rath's research, when a manager is giving strengths-based feedback, the likelihood of an employee disengaging is 1%. Wow. Right. One out of 100. We're all sitting around trying to figure out how to solve retention. It's like, this feels like a really easy win. <laughs> it's like, like, too good to be true. Right. And strengths feedback being different than just positive feedback. Like, hey, Brandon, this was a lot of fun. Nice job. Like, hey, Brandon, I really liked your conversational nature in this podcast. And I feel like we were moving at a, a slow pace, but it's thoughtful. And thanks for getting me prepped before we started. You know, like that's going to help point out like some things that you do naturally and you do well. And that's important to hear. You feel very seen as a result when that sort of thing happens. So, so many reasons why strengths are important. We cover a bunch more in the book. And then, yeah, we've kind of been touching on this one a little bit as we go, but just that distinction between, you know, naming for yourself, because it's important to be clear, what are the things this person isn't doing well? Or what are the ineffective behaviors of the things I wish they could stop? And then taking the time to ask yourself, what would it look like instead? Or what do I want them to be doing instead? Or what would more effective look like? And before you can even put words to deliver it to the person, picture it for yourself and then actually like language that. So we have a little exercise we reference in the book called a T-chart, which is nothing more than just a left-hand column, the ineffective, the right-hand column, you know, the more desired behavior and just spending the time to get really, really clear on what that looks like. So if somebody's going to say, you know, I think you need to work on your communication skills. That's so broad. So broad. Yeah. yeah. 
but so I said, well, what would better communication skills look like? You know, it'd be, you know, don't bury the headline in the email, put three bullets at the top, you know, be more timely in follow-ups, try to respond within 24 hours, you know, and maybe pause more when you're speaking orally to allow somebody to jump in with a question. Now I have three specific things that almost become goals. I can work on those because you've told me what it is I should be doing. So now I know what to practice instead of just being told that I'm falling short in an area of communication. What are the key differences between this model and like the way people actually deliver? And maybe maybe you could do it through a, an example if you have one off the top of your head. Yeah, I mean, I think that it just takes like a couple minutes longer, but I think even when people don't realize they're doing it, I think they just fall short like of getting to the part that's going to be really helpful. So even that example, like, so, hey, you can work on your communication skills and say, I, say, okay, well, what would that look like? And say, okay, you could be more concise. Okay, but I'm still like, is that in my email? Is that when I talk? Is that everywhere? Is it my presentations? So, you know, getting really clear and specific, you know, like you're actually quite concise in the weekly status meetings, but when you get up in front of a room, you get really long on your slides. So what are you doing in the status meetings that helps you be like punchy with it? And how can you practice that in your presentations? It can be invaluable to point to an area where they're doing it well and then help them see where they can do that in a different place. Because that tells our mind, okay, I, I am good at this somewhere. What am I doing there that's allowing me to be more concise and how can I move that over here and practice it? So I think it just takes like one or two more deepening questions. First, even just asking yourself, but then when you are talking to the person to talk it through and help them really get grounded in what it is you're looking for. And if there is a time when they've done it, great, call that out. If there hasn't been a time, then just paint the picture for what it would look like if they were doing it. And so then they have a gauge too if they're making progress. And this is where the last piece, the allyship comes in. Because if I'm going to give you that super clear feedback and then I'm in one of your presentations next time and I see you being more concise, huge opportunity to reinforce it in the moment. So now I feel like I've had progress. I know it's possible to do it again then. I did it. Or before the meeting, hey, can I help you prep it all? Or what are you doing to get your points down? oh, I have flashcards, great, do you want to run them by me? Or, you know, just how are you playing a part in the change? Because if if you leave the person on their own to just practice it, it's too hard to fall back to the way they're used to doing it. We didn't talk about delivery of the feedback. Does it always need to be face-to-face? Uh, I mean, I feel like in today's world, you can't say yes. Um, <laughs> I think depending on sort of the the way you know the person, the maybe the sensitivity around what it is, you kind of make that gauge back to the, how do you make it feel safe? You know, for some people that maybe is going to help. But no, I mean, I think it's more about the framework than I think it is the environment, you know, helping them feel seen and valued in some ways of their strengths, being really clear and specific on ways, you know, they can improve and then offer to help them. If organizations had been doing feedback a certain way, I don't know, maybe they have a framework uh, for delivering feedback, or maybe it's a made up of a bunch of managers who have been doing it their own way. But how do you make a concerted shift to something like this, because it seems like there's a lot of training, probably workshopping, and a lot of real world situations that they just need to practice before they can really master this. Like, what needs to be put in place? Yeah, it's a great question. And I'm not sure that everyone's going to love this answer, but I think it's kind of true for any major shift that you're going to try and create in an organization. It kind of has to start at the top. Meaning at least there has to be a fundamental understanding of, I kind of look at positive psychology as a mindset shift in and of itself. It is a focus on what's working. It is a focus on strengths. It is a focus on skills around emotional intelligence and grit and optimism and all these things that we're not historically used to evaluating people against or praising them for having it. 
And so I think it's important to just establish like, we're going to become a strengths-based organization. We're going to celebrate what's working in individuals. And we're going to think about constructive feedback through the lens of these are the behaviors we want to see you adopting. We're going to point you towards the things we want to see you do. And we've gone in and trained just the whole middle before. And it's really hard when then they get feedback from the people above them who haven't been through the same thing and they're kind of unlearning it in their own experience. So that's what's hard. So what we found has been really powerful is when some of, it doesn't necessarily have to be all of, but some of the the leadership team or the the top of the organization goes through our, our 360 process because you kind of learn the approach through the interview process of participating in the 360. And they also realize the power of how different the feedback feels when it's gathered and given in this way. And then that at least helps sort of set the tone. They can speak authentically about this is how we're going to approach feedback differently. I experienced it. It blew me away. Many of you contributed in my interviews. Thank you. And you now are seeing what we're talking about. And then, you know, we've got trainings all the way down for the whole organization in terms of just, and to your point, it is just practice. So a lot of the training is just holding the container, but it's tons of role play and just like bring somebody to mind whose review you have to write, like, let's go through this format. What are their strengths? Doing the T-chart on how they can be more effective. What's the way you can support them as their manager and just practicing uh, applying it. Yeah, I imagine for individuals who have not strengthened this feedback muscle, they would need to do a lot of role playing before they're ready because this is not easy. I mean, some people just aren't even giving feedback. So it's like there's the unlearning the way you're used to doing it with maybe just not as much thought. And then there's the people that maybe it's almost easier to train the folks that just aren't even giving it because they don't have old habits to break. But yeah. Yeah. When you were talking about like it starts with the top and then you can go and train middle managers and even roll it down to everybody, you know, at every level. Do you need to have something formal in place like agreements uh, for accountability around this? Yeah. I mean, I think ideally, again, there, yeah, there is some kind of working under understanding sort of at every level, but I think a lot of companies use some sort of performance management system. And where we've had some luck is we've done the trainings and then we've worked with the company to like relanguage because most of them, Mm. they offer it up, but then you can customize certain feedback questions or you can reframe them. So we've helped them reframe it to follow it. So then it's like anytime anyone's logging in to do anything, Because it's sometimes it's just the distinction of what are some areas of improvement to to how can Brandon be more effective. So it's just like how you even lead the question. The how is automatically cueing a solution or a behavior that you'd like the person to be doing versus like what or why usually leads to more like problem-based feedback. So if you can teach that some of these broader premises and then have the tools that are being used in the organization reflect it, that's another place where it just gets reiterated and, and that could be helpful. Well, Jen, this has been such a fun discussion. There's so much more in the book that we didn't even cover. So I encourage listeners to go check it out. It's called Feedback Reimagined, Transform Your Organization Through Positive Psychology and Social Support. What do you want to leave people with? Any like parting thoughts or even uh, to go deeper and learn more? Where's the best place to look? Yeah, we covered a lot. So thank you again for the opportunity. I think I just... I kind of just want to make like a call for everyone to start realizing that like feedback isn't going away and it's human nature. We all want to understand how to grow and thrive and be our best. So think about how to implement that in your life and your organization. And I think the book in particular, it really helps teach dialogue skills. So yes, we, we spoke about an organizational model, but it can help you in your relationship. We've had people tell us it's helped them with their children. So thinking about just how to be a little bit more intentional in the way you're, you're communicating with others um, could go a long way. So yeah, thank you. Jen, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, awesome. Take care.
The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of ZenMHR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.